0: The book of Nahum is one of the minor prophets. It's right after Micah and right before Habakkuk. And let me explain a little bit as you're finding uh, your your pages why we're uh, looking at this particular book. We will be um, wrapping up the book of Revelation this Sunday. And... I wanted to um, find a study that would sort of tie together what the book of Revelation really is all about because primarily it is um, the time of Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation. In a nutshell, what we have, um, Revelation 6, verse 17 says, it's the wrath of the lamb. So we have this uh, seven year period of time where God is judging the last world emperor, empire, I should say, that Daniel talked about. Um, And he talked about uh, the 10 toes. We refer to it as a revived Roman empire. But basically what it is, is judgment being pronounced on uh, this empire that's overseen by the Antichrist. So what the Lord put on my heart to talk about is actually go through the history as we finish the Bible of um, the six world empires that have already come. Uh, The first one is Egypt. The second one is Assyria. That will be the one we'll be zeroing in on tonight. The third one was Babylon. Babylon. The fourth, of course, were the Medes and the Persians. Uh, uh, The fifth was uh, the Grecian Empire under Alexander the Great. And then we had, of course, the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was the last empire that has ruled the entire world. Now, we're getting at a place that's very, very close where the stage is being set on a daily basis for the rise of this one world government that um, clearly tells us in Revelation 13 all the world will worship um, the Antichrist. If you don't, you die. It's that simple. And so what we're going to do is one thing, um, except for Rome, they fell from within. Um, They were all conquered and they were all destroyed by the preceding one. Uh, The Assyrians uh, defeated Egypt. Uh, Even though Assyria at one time defeated Babylon, uh, Babylon will come back and defeat Assyria. Um, The Medes and the Persians, again in one night, defeated the Babylonians. And then, of course, Alexander the Great came along Uh, And then Rome fell from within. And um, I think a lot about the way our country is today, and I liken it a lot to um, Rome. Because I think there's a lot of things going on in our country, but I do believe a part of it is judgment. And it's God's judgment allowing to be put on our country Businesses, churches, under this uh, new administration that I don't think is going to be around for too long, um, I have concerns of the implications that it's going to have just personally for us as a church Um, and what we will be allowed or not allowed to do. So there's a lot of preconditioning going on uh, with forces behind the scenes. Uh, they take the shape of very, very powerful men and powerful positions, but don't be deceived. I believe they're all demon-possessed, and it's a spiritual battle. So it's, it's really um, wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And unfortunately, our country, um, from abortion on down, has become uh, very evil in very many ways, and like the antichrist, I think there's a lot of preconditioning into our submission and how 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 far could they go with us? The big thing i 'm praying about right now that's on the news is this mandate that we won 't have to wear masks uh, shortly. I sure hope that one goes through i don 't know if you're aware of that, but that's in um, being voted on, and we'll know in sub Maybe at the end, end of this week, whether or not uh, people will be mandated to um, um, wear a mask. So with that little bit, I would, I would like to um, uh, give a little background here of, the, of um, Assyria. As we look at the book of Nahum, um, it's about to be judged And God is going to warn this future judgment against Assyria, and he's going to use Nahum uh, as his instrument uh, to to warn them. If I I guess I would break it down, there's three chapters, they flow together. Chapter one is basically uh, the verdict of vengeance, what God will do and the the destruction of Nineveh, and the deliverance of Judah. So that's chapter 1. In chapter 2, we see the vision of vengeance. A lot of this is very poetic in its language, um, and how God will do it. And then in chapter 3, we have the vindication of the vengeance by the Lord, why God will do it. Uh, in Judah, it's against Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. The year is about 660 B.C. Now, when we go to Israel, and we go to the northern part, by the Sea of Galilee there, of course, the main city is Capernaum. And when you're walking into Capernaum, it has a title underneath it. It says Capernaum, which means the city of Nahum. And uh, so now you know where Capernaum comes from. It's the city of Nahum. And this is the same, the capital of Assyria is Nineveh. And so we find that God told Jonah to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. And, um, Jonah says, Absolutely not. And he got on a ship and he headed off to Tarshish. And uh, you guys know the story. There was a great storm, and um, the guys on the ship figured out that it was God's judgment. So they went around asking, uh, All right, who did this against the Lord and what's going on? And Jonah said, I guess it's my fault. I'm Who are you? Well, I'm Jonah. What are you doing? Well, I'm running away from God. (laughs) running away from God. Just let that one sink in. So the Lord persuades him by the guys throwing him off the ship. He's swallowed by a great, doesn't say a whale, but a great fish. And he was three days and three nights in the belly of this fish. And after he couldn't take it any longer, He cried out to the Lord and says I give up Nineveh here I come and he was belched out literally on shores and um, often wondered you know what do you look like when you're um, (laughs) in the belly of a fish for three days with the acids and how do you come out looking anyway anyway he makes his way to Nineveh he hates the Ninevites And there was good reason for the hatred. There has never been an empire as cruel in how they treated their enemies, especially defeating them. People would take their own lives rather than be taken captive by an Assyrian because they were so cruel and so brutal. This is the reason Jonah said, no way will I preach to them. Well, he did preach to them after the Lord's persuasion, and for 40 days and 40 nights, he walked around the city. I'll tell you a little bit about the city. Um, They all repented, every single one of them, from the king right on down, the greatest revival, 100% success rate. And uh, Jonah went up on a hill and complained about it. That's not what he wanted to see happen. He wanted to see the judgment of God come down on Nineveh. So they all repent, but it didn't last. Um, It lasted for a hundred years or so, but then they went back to their wickedness in 722 BC. Um, They destroyed the ten northern cities, uh, uh, nations, 12 tribes, ten of them were in the north. And then there was Samaria. So they took Samaria um, and they took the ten northern tribes, took them into captivity. Um, When they took uh, Samaria, they intermarried with Jewish women and they also intermarried with Jewish women who were part of the ten tribes. Um, We have a Samaritan coming out as a result of the interbreeding between an Assyrian and a Jewish person. They were half-breeds. That's why in John 4, the woman at the well, who was a Samaritan, Jesus talks to her and says, what are you doing talking to me? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. We don't have anything to do with each other. But the Lord drew her out and got her to talk and and, uh, eventually she came up with, with what was deep down inside of her. She had questions. And John 4 is a classic on how to witness to people. He drew these things out of her by talking to her. And her big question was, where do we worship? Where do we worship God? Um, the Samaritans said that Noah's Ark came to rest on Mount Gerizim in um, Samaria. Abraham offered Isaac on Mount Gerizim and they had completely twisted the scriptures all around. Everything happened there. So her question was where do we worship? Do we worship on Mount Gerizim? You Jews say uh, it's Jerusalem. Which is it? And the Lord said neither. Neither? What do you mean neither? He says the father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And the point is, it's not a place. It's not a building. But it's um, honestly from here, in the, in the worship tonight, from our hearts, communicating in the spirit our affection for God's grace on our life. So it's not a place, but it's an individual relationship between you and him. Well, she gets saved Goes back to um, town, tells all the people, a lot of people came out and listened to the Lord himself and they got saved too. So that's where the Samaritans come from. By the way, every time Jesus talks about a Samaritan in the New Testament, it's always in the positive. The good Samaritan, uh, the woman at the well. Nineveh became the mightiest city on the earth. The walls of the city were 100 feet high. It had towers that went up to 400 feet tall. They had a water moat around it 150 feet wide and 60 feet deep. They thought nothing, just like Babylon, would ever be able to destroy um, uh, Nineveh. It was that much of a fortress of a city. Well the problem was it was built near the river Tigris um, and they had a huge flood which undermined the foundation walls of the city and it was actually a breach in it and as a result of that breach the Babylonians came in and completely destroyed the city where you can't find the remains even to this day. You can, but from what it was and the remains that are there are next to nothing. They, they burned it to the ground um, and there was nothing left of Assyria. The Babylonians now become the next world empire. So when we read the book of Daniel, he doesn't start with Egypt and he doesn't talk about Assyria. He's talking about Babylon because Babylon is now the country that defeated the Assyrians because of this breach in the wall. Everybody with me so far? So the one thing that I'm trying to tie some strings together here is one succeeded the other um, um, by defeating them, and the one that defeated the other one, in this case Babylon defeating the Assyrians, well now they're the ones that have the hanging gardens of Babylon. Babylon that uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. They were the ones that had the 300-foot uh, walls so you could drive chariots around, around it. The river Euphrates ran right through the middle of it, and they thought they could never be destroyed, and yet they were destroyed in one night. The Medes and the Persians diverted the Euphrates, and they went underneath it created a new channel so the water was diverted and they simply went in while um, uh, they were basically having an orgy party drinking out of the vessels of uh, what they stole from Jerusalem. And they came in and in one night um, the city of Babylon fell. Um, Nahum's message now, as we look at the book, of uh, Nahum is really one of coming destruction. Just like Jeremiah, his whole ministry was one message. You guys are going down to to Babylon. And don't try to fight against it because it's not going to work. So the idea here is um, Nahum, his message is a, a destruction that Uh, they are going to be destroyed. So let's look at uh, chapter one of the book of Nahum. It won't take us too long to get through it. Again, a lot lot of this is flowery, um, poetic speech, but it's really a message of um, uh, coming judgment. Chapter one, um, God's vengeance in judgment. Let's just read the first two verses. The burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Ekloshite. And this is, uh, again, when you trace it down, this actually comes into Capernaum. God is jealous, and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. Well, that's what the book of Revelation primarily is about, God's wrath, being poured out. And what we're reading in the first couple of verses here is God's wrath is going to be um, poured out. Um, eventually, there's going to arise a king named Sennacherib, and this is now during Hezekiah's time, and the prophet then would have been Isaiah. And Sennacherib and the Assyrians, after capturing The ten northern tribes are now coming after Jerusalem. And Isaiah is trying to tell Hezekiah, chill, don't worry about it. Nothing's going to happen. And Hezekiah is looking out over and there's 185,000 Assyrians. And Isaiah says, not not one arrow is going to come over the building. Don't worry about it. And when it says that he is able to take vengeance and, um, on, his, on his enemies, one angel in one night took out 185,000 Assyrians. That was the downfall of how eventually Assyria fell. Sennacherib went back to Assyria, but his two sons killed him. And then you have this... Uh, Um, steady downward spiral of the nation alright verses 3 through 8 is God's power in judgment but first he's reluctant to do so he doesn't want to because it says here the Lord is slow to anger and great in power he's not willing that any should perish that's why he sent Jonah there in the first place they were the worst they repented But then they backslid, went back to their old ways. Slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his ways in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers, Bashan, Carmel, Wither, the flowers of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt melt, and the earth, the heavens at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Well, it's just describing um, how powerful, omnipotent is is the word. He's beyond power. He's limitless in his power. Who can stand before his indignation? Indignation, tooth. Two things that can be a uh, sort of uh, part of his personality, is indignation, but it's also a term used for for, um, the great tribulation period. Who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in a day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. But... With an overflowing flood he will make an utter end of its place and darkness will pursue his enemies. I think this is a reference of um, Nahum um, actually foretelling what's going to happen with an overflowing flood. That's really what breached the walls of Nineveh. In verses uh, 9 through 15, We have the destruction of Nineveh and now the deliverance of Judah. And let me, well, let's just read through 11 and I'll come back and talk about Snecker again. What do you, what do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. For while tangled like thorns and while drunken like drunkards, they shall be devoured like stubble, fully dried. For you come forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. This could be a reference to Sennacherib when they came against uh, Jerusalem. Uh, Twelve through, well, let's read uh, nine through uh, 15 here. Though they are safe and likewise many, yet in this manner they will be cut down when he passes through. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. For now I will break off his yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. Now he's speaking words of encouragement. He's going to destroy Israel's enemy. And he's going to take the yoke that is uh, but a burden to the southern two tribes and he's gonna uh, free them from the tyranny of Assyria the Lord has given a command concerning you uh, you shall your name shall be perpetuated no longer perpetrated no longer out of the house of your gods I will cut off the carved images and the molded images. I will dig your grave, for you are vile. Behold the mountains, the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feasts, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. So what we have being referred to here is I'm going to destroy your enemy. And I want you to go back and, and keep your appointed feast. I want you to not be afraid of uh, Assyria any longer. Brings us to chapter two. One and two is uh, the call to battle. He who scatters has come up from before your face. Man the fort, watch the road, strengthen your flanks, fortify your power mightily. For the Lord will restore the excellency of Jacob like the excellence of Israel. For the emptiers have emptied them out and ruined their vine branches. So basically we have a call to arms here. And um, in verses three through 13, this is a short chapter here, um, we have literally the destruction now of Nineveh. The shields of his mighty men are made red. The valiant men are in scarlet. The chariots come with flaming torches in the day of his preparation. And his spears are brandished. The chariots rage in the street. The, the, the jolts one another in the broad road's Uh, They seem like torches, they run like lightning. He remembers his worthies, they stumble in their walk, they make haste to her walls, and the defense is prepared. The gates of the rivers are opened, and the place is dissolved. Again, this could be in reference to uh, the flooding of the Tigris. Uh, It is decreed she shall be led away captive she shall be brought up and her maidservant shall lead her as with the voice of doves beating their breast and though nineveh of old was like a pool of water now they flee away halt halt they cry but no one turns back so they're in flight now um Uh, from the Babylonians verse 9 take spoil of silver take spoil of gold there is no end of treasure Um, with all that's going on right now there's a lot of reports that they're finding um, the wealth that's in the basement of um, the basement of the Vatican untold Mounts of, of tons of gold and precious artifacts. I've often wondered, um, w- you know, when, when um, Titus came in and showed the victories of their spoils when they took the city of Jerusalem, uh, the seven-branched menorah. They, they showed it carrying it back to um, Rome. I bet you it's down in the basement of the Vatican. That's my guess. (laughs) And I bet you there's a whole lot more down there. Um, It's a whole other topic, but I've mentioned this often. Um, The Pope is not a Pope, he's a globalist. Um, He is uh, denounced and holds to no Catholic doctrine. Uh, He doesn't, it doesn't matter what religion you are, you shouldn't witness to Muslims. Uh, There's no purgatory. Everybody's going to heaven, and um, you know, if you're a Catholic, and this stuff is just coming out in the last ten years, what does that do to your head? You know, and um, and yet these are the facts. He he is part of the globalist movement. Whatever's happening in our country right now, um, all I know for sure is we know that there has to be a one world government. Somebody want to give me an amen to that? We know there's going to be a new currency. And just on a sidetrack, I got um, Clem Warren called me today. We had a a good talk. talked for a long time. And we talked about a lot of different issues. He was curious about what I thought about a couple things. Uh, He's a Gideon here in town. And... um, one of the things we talked about was you know every night on the news it's worse than the night before it's and they're saying it's always worse than the night before it's always the same story why well first of all there's no way that the amount of people that they say are dying are dying of covid-19 if you die at all they'll mark it covid-19 but if they'd be honest and just say these are the people who just died of COVID-19 with no other preconditions, then your chance of living are 99.7%. But you're not going to hear that because they're part of the whole globalist movement. They're in bed with, um, with the Pope along with uh, uh, the world leaders who think they're in charge they're not in charge. They're puppets of Lucifer, the god of this world, who is simply setting up his kingdom. It's the seventh kingdom. Seven is the number of completion. And that's the one that God will judge. And he will destroy that one at the Battle of Armageddon. But um, I want you to do your homework on this virus. I've got to be careful here. I would like you to do your own homework. Um, we were inundated for requests for Mary's update. And um, so what we have, it is on our Calvary Chapel app. Anybody watching live stream, I strongly encourage you to to uh, listen to Mary's update uh, that she did and pass it on to some friends. Um, I'm just saying personally, knowing what I know and what they're trying to do to the United States of America and destroying it is one of the ways that I believe this is happening is through this vaccine. That is my personal opinion. And there's no way that I would ever take that vaccine. Um, Do you know, I think we were talking in in the... uh, Yeah, back here. Do you know that Germany has banned it completely? Uh, That's what I just learned sitting in the program tonight. So many people are dying from it. Germany said enough. And they've banned that in Germany. And be a Berean here, do your homework. But the more that's coming out, and there's different versions of it. But people, you know, and what they're saying on the news, well, we're a little slow, but... Boy, you better make sure that you get one. The thing with me, I can't, I can't watch, I can't watch it. But you know why? Because ever since I was 12 years old, if I saw a needle, I passed out. <laughs> I all I had to do was see a needle, and I would pass out. I remember Mom pulling me aside and I said, "Dwight, you're the oldest. You got to be brave. I mean, we have to go in, and we got to get a, whatever shot we we're supposed to get." And I said, okay, mom, I'm going to be brave and I won't, I won't do anything. So I was the first one to sit on the table and, um, and the guy took the needle out, face down, face plant, passed right out. All right, my brothers and sisters ran out of the doctor's office. <laughs> so anyway, how do I get sidetracked on that? Be wise and um, do your homework. And uh, Mary put a lot of research, a lot of good research in it. And and you can make up your own mind. We left off in chapter uh, two with the destruction. Though Nineveh was old like a pool of water, Now they shall flee away, halt, halt, yep, there we were, they cried. But no one turns back. They take spoil of silver, they take spoil of gold. That's why I got off track, all the gold in the Vatican. Uh, There's no end of treasure or wealth of every desirable prize. She is empty, desolate, and waste. Uh, The hearts melt and the knees shake. Uh, Much pain is in every side and all their faces are drained of color. In other words, they're running for their life and they're scared to death. And this is a picture of that flight. Where the dwelling of the lions and a feeding place of the young lions, where the lions walked the lioness and lion's cub, and no one made them afraid. The lion torn pieces enough for his cubs, killed for his lionesses, filled his caves with prey and his dens with flesh. And then the Lord said, with all this poetic language of them fleeing, um, the Lord says, Behold, I am against you. To me, those have to be some of the scariest words in the Bible. Ezekiel 38, Tagog and Magog, Behold, I'm against you, Rosh. Behold, I'm against you, says the Lord of hosts. I'm going to burn your chariots, And smoke and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall be heard no more. The last chapter is um, Nineveh's great ungodliness. Now, remember, this is a city that Jonah preached to, and everybody repented. 100 years later, they're back to their old ways. Uh, their great ungodliness. And again, um, one of the ways they would take their captives into captivity is they'd take a hook and put it through the nose and then drag them. And that's um, just part of their cruelty that that they had. Now the Lord says about their ungodliness in chapter 3, the last chapter of Nahum, Woe to the bloody city. It is all full of lies and robbery. Its victims never depart. The noise of a whip. The noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses, of clattering chariots. Horsemen charged with bright swords and glittering spears. There is a multitude of slain, a great number of bodies, countless corpses they stumble over the corpses and um, I was looking at some pictures of um, uh, chariots actually just going over children um, in in one of my uh, commentaries and um, because of the multitudes of um, harlots of the seductive harlot the mistress of sorcerers who sells the nations through her harlotries and families through her sorceries. So demonic to the core and uh, manifesting itself in its cruelty and its hatred. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I'm going to lift up your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness. In other words, just how vile and wicked you are, and the kingdom's your shame. I will cast abominable filth upon you and make you vile, and I'm going to make you a spectacle. And it shall come to pass that all who look at, upon you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is laid waste, Who will bemoan her? Where shall I seek comfort for you? She's so utterly destroyed by the Babylonians that um, there's simply none left. Now this last part um, from verses 8 through 14, 15, is a comparison uh, of Nineveh to Noammon. Now Noamon is a city of thieves, um, the capital of the in Upper Egypt. So he, there, he's making a comparison to them again. Remember, Egypt was the first ruling empire um, that was situated by the river. Of course, that would be the Nile. They had waters around her, whose rampart was like the sea whose wall was like the sea. Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and these would be, again, around um, uh, thieves. And it was boundless. Put and Lubin were your helpers. Yet she was carried away. She went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed to pieces. At the head of every street... They cast lots for honorable men. And all her great men were bound in chains. So also will be drunk. You will be hidden. You also shall seek refuge from the enemy. So there's a comparison going on here. Egypt did fall. Who'd they fall to? The Assyrians. And he's basically saying, you think you're any better than them? Nope. You're going down just like them is the idea, that's what's being said here. And then it talks about the weakness in its administration in verses um, 12 through 15. All your strongholds are fig trees with ripened figs. If they are shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. Surely your people in your midst are women. The gates of your land are wide open for your enemies. Fire shall devour the bars, bars of your gates. Draw your water from the siege. Fortify your strongholds. Go into the clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brick. Kit, uh, yeah, it's what you make bricks out of. <laughs> Make strong, um, uh, there the fire will devour, devour you, the sword will cut you off and will eat you up like a locust. Make yourself many like the locust, make yourself many like the swarming locust. So the weakness now, especially after Snekerub has been killed, um, their power structure uh, comes to an end at that time and it ends with the weakness after Sennacherib and her final demise so 16 through the end um, the weakness of Assyria's leadership you have multiplied your merchants more than the stars of heaven and the locust plunders and flies away Your commanders are like swarming locusts and your captains like great grasshoppers which camp in the hedge on a cold day. In other words, it's the decline of a nation. And I see many similarities in the same way. And I think it has to do a lot with our leadership in our country right now. I know I just made a political statement, but I believe it's one that's True, there's definitely an agenda going on there. But when the sun rises, they shall flee away, and the place where they are is not known. Your shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Your nobles rest in the dust. Your people are scattered on the mountains. No one gathers them. Your injury has no healing. Your wound is severe. And all who hear nor Uh, news of you will clap their hands over you uh, for upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually. End of the book of Nahum. I went here tonight I wanted to go through a, a book where I could take one example out of the six empires that have ruled this world. Egypt. Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persian, Grecian, Roman. Here's an example of one of them. And the thing that it has in common, except for the Roman Empire, which fell from within, is that they were judged. And the warning of that judgment, I would compare to Jeremiah uh, telling the people of Israel to submit to King Nebuchadnezzar. Don't fight it. Um, I've had it up to here. And uh, you can try whatever you want to, but you need to capitulate. And don't fight against Nebuchadnezzar because he's going to come and he's going to destroy the city. And that's exactly what happened. And Daniel was the first to go. So the whole book of Daniel lays out all the nations that I just mentioned which two didn't he mentioned Egypt and Assyria why because they're past tense he comes on the scene after Babylon destroys Assyria and so we what I thought I would do to tie it, how we end the Bible this Sunday in Revelation chapter 22 is with um a picture of this is the last one. Uh, The Antichrist kingdom will be number seven, the number of completion. So there has been seven, as we kind of do a general overview of the whole Bible, what I'm zeroing in on tonight are just the empires that have come and that have gone. But I don't want to leave you on that note. Um, What is going to happen after the great tribulation, is the Lord is going to establish his kingdom, number eight. That one's going to last for a 1,000 years. And that one's going to be ruled with a rod of iron. And it'll be a time of uh, the curse being removed, longevity of life being restored, a place where they'll come up and worship the Lord on a regular basis from year to year. And um, at the end of that period of 1,000 years, what happens is, we had this last Sunday, it says, then I will create a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. And that's how the Bible concludes with this glorious call. When we get to the last couple of verses, it says this, Even so come, Lord Jesus. The spirit and the bride say, come. And the more I'm in this world, we said it perfectly, and they closed the this, uh, this, this study perfectly, is this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And we're not to be focused on this world. Um, Paul told Timothy, Timothy, you're a soldier for the Lord. Touch this world ever so lightly. And as we conclude our Wednesday night Bible study tonight, might I give you the same encouragement. Know that you're just passing through, that um, um, it's not going to get better. Uh, We might even have to go through some tough times. Don't know. There's a lot of unknowns right now but this is what I do know. I know that the Lord, I know it's late, and I know he has a plan. I know we're not to be ignorant of the times and the seasons, and it looks to me like the Lord could be coming pretty soon. And when that happens, then they enter into that seven-year period of time. And after that, the Battle of Armageddon, and that will be the last of the seven world empires that have ruled this world. The first one was Egypt. And we've gone through all of them. And we can see over the horizon, so to speak, that um, um, after the the Great Tribulation, the Lord is going to set up his kingdom. You have a part in that. You are going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ for 1,000 years. Now, how's that for putting a little hope in your heart? Faith, hope, and love, those three. And faith we have is that this isn't how it ends. Not for the believer. It's called the blessed hope. So as we conclude and enter into the eighth empire that will rule on this earth, it will be ruled again for the next thousand uh, years and we have a responsibility and role in it. The admonition that the Lord gives us is don't give up. He got, his word for that is be an overcomer. Well, what's an overcomer? An overcomer is somebody who doesn't give up. He says it's too dark, i have given up and all this stuff and just go do my own thing. Now don't do that. Do just the opposite. We quoted it on Sunday, Colossians 3 verse 1. If you're born again, what do you do? You seek those things that are above where Christ is. Set your mind on things above. I get up in the morning and I'm starting to think about the day and it's not till I get downstairs and have my coffee and and open my wisdom for today that things start to come into perspective. (laughs) Why are you bummed? Why are you uh, turned down, David said. Cast down, oh my soul. I get out of bed in the morning, my soul's cast down, and I'm just putting my bedroom slippers on, (laughs) going downstairs. Oh yeah, it's not about here. We're just passing through. We're just strangers, and we can't lose that perspective. Good place to end I'll stand we close in prayer. Lord, we see that you picked and chose the prophet Naam to sort of put into focus one of the world-ruling empires, the Assyrian Empire, and its greatness. But it fell, and it fell to the Babylonians that fell, and they fell to the Medo-Persians, and the Medo-Persians fell to Alexander the, the Great, And so on it has been. And now, Lord, we're living in the the times where we see the formation of another globalist um, world government on the horizon. And it makes sense to us because we know what your word has to say about it. So, Lord, may we heed your word, which says... um, Where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be also. And Lord, please make um, our treasure, that personal relationship with you. And as it says in Revelation, uh, even so, come Lord Jesus. In your name I pray, and all God's people said.